Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning we uh, continue our inner series in the book of Ephesians, and I said uh, earlier we are going to be taking a two-week break and looking at uh, preparing for, for Christmas John the Baptist style uh, in the next couple of weeks. But the, the message entitled this morning is Spirit-Filled Singing, and you could also say Spirit-Filled Worship, but Spirit-Filled Singing. And just to maybe make a simple observation to begin with, Spirit-Filled Singing is spirited. Uh, it is spirited in a number of different ways, and we hope to look at, at that this morning. But as we think about the passage that we'll be taking that from, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17, basically through 21, but particularly 18 and 19, uh, the Bible talks about that God's people uniquely ought to be spirit-filled. It begins with, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it said, the result of that will be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making a melody in your heart to the Lord. And so this morning we want to talk, what is the result of being filled with the Spirit? We talked about what it meant to be filled with the Spirit last week. What does it mean to be filled? When you outline this morning, we're going to follow along with that in terms of just keeping me on track. But it begins by understanding, living on the influence of the Spirit and Scripture will result in, number one, a melody in your heart, number two, giving thanks from the heart, and being submissive from the heart. And really, that's the essence of Spirit-filled singing, understanding that it comes from within. And we're going to look at a familiar passage in a moment. But God wants us to, to reflect back to Him what He has put in us. We should have a thankful heart because we have much to be thankful about. We ought to be willing to arrange ourselves under the authority of others who are put in positions of leadership in our lives because God has put that in our hearts. And we ought to have a melody in our hearts because God has put a melody in our lives. Now, we live in a, in a time in which music and the ability to hear tunes is everywhere. Whether you're in an elevator, they have what they call what kind of music? Elevator music. I know you're a very sharp group. Okay, yeah, you can hear music in elevators. You can hear, use, hear music when you're in stores. Uh, cars, almost every single car has a radio in which either you can put um, stations that are broadcast to you, or if you have a CD player, you used to have cassettes, and you can put that in your car. Now they have smartphones that will play music, and they have iPods that will play music. And if you can't hear your music, you can hear the person next to you's music, right? Music is everywhere, all right? Now, the uniqueness is that God wants to put music in not only our ears, but in our heart. The word for melody in your heart is an interesting word in the original language. It comes, it's the word solo, which actually literally means the plucking of a stringed instrument. Now, some of you, are, do we have any hummers out there? You know, you go through life just humming through life. Okay, do any of you have a whistler as you walk? Anybody whistle as you walk? Um, anybody, when you're at a table and you get kind of bored, you start drumming your, your, your fingers, you know, sometimes after a while when it's too silent, it's too silent, right, and we start making noise, and basically music is making noise. Now, the more, um, the more time taken to put the, the noise into some kind of a sense makes it more what we would call music, but we are a people that likes to hear sounds, and God wants us to understand that's, that's, that's something He has given. In fact, theologians will say that music is what's called common grace. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a follower of God, you still have the ability to hear and even make music. The uniqueness about Christian music is this music is now directed not only to God, but in thankfulness to God. Okay? And also, and it comes from the source of God that we recognize He is the one who gives us the ability to make music. 
So I, I want to submit to you that this, uh, the, the kind of the application to begin with is, hopefully as you leave this place, that you will recognize that God does want to have a song in your heart. He does want you to make music throughout the day, and that's a way to express praise and honor to Him. Now, looking at that just for a moment, the Bible says speaking to one another in hymns and psalms, in, spirit, uh, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Interesting that, I didn't say this in the first verse, but it's an intriguing word. The word speaking, remember in English class, onomatopoetic, anybody remember that word? All right, we got one down here. I have to say, there's got to be at least one. It's got to be. Okay, it is, it, that word describes a word that sounds like the word that it really is. Like a, I'm hearing a buzzing sound, right? Now, what does the buzzing sound sound like? Buzz, okay? And, and the word for speak here is the word laleo in the Greek, okay? And it, it can also be described as a, a word that means la, 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 okay? And that sounds like the start of a simple song, doesn't it? And so when we speak to one another, in fact, interesting in the Greek too, there's a debate here whether it's speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs or it's speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's a place where we ought to make a melody in our heart purposefully to reflect back to God. Some have said this in your quiet time that you should not only have a, a Bible, but you ought to have a hymn book. Now, whether your hymn book is contemporary choruses or whether it's a hymn book of traditional hymns, that you ought to reflect back to God in a musical way because that brings music in your life. Now, the reason that can be important is in one of our small groups this past week, one of our, uh, actually in two of the groups I was in, they said, you know, it's interesting to me in my relationship with God that when I pray, often I don't feel the emotion of my relationship with Him. But when I sing, I feel the emotions of my relationship with God. Why is that? And me being the kinder and gentler person I am, it's because you're unspiritual. No, I didn't say that. It's because that's what music does. Music stirs the soul. And as you think about it, in 1 Samuel chapter, this is all for free, so I haven't started my message, so just relax. No, no. 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 23, says that David was called by Saul to bring music, and it was instrumental music, to take a soul or a heart that was distressed and bring it peace. And we all can kind of tie our various experiences of life often to music. If you're in the military, you know, when your song was, was played, you just got up and started marching, and you felt kind of a unity with, with those who were around you. If you went to a particular school that a fight song was, or a, a spirit song, a school song was kind of a driving force in the athletic events you were at, as soon as you hear that song, you're thinking of competition. And, and for some of you, you might have had a song as a, as in a spousal relationship. That's our song, you know, on the radio or whatever it might be. There are certain songs that will trigger certain emotions because it's tied to an experience. And music has that capacity to, to either get our heart pumping, kind of a, a fast beat song, or to kind of soothe us, or whatever it might be. Well, what, what God wants to introduce to us is that He wants to introduce that, number one, music comes not from nothing, it comes from someone, it comes from God. And, and then secondly, He wants us to recognize it can be an avenue, a means by which we worship Him. Now, often, music gets equ- equated with worship. And sometimes people will say in, in both service hours or both service venues, not only in our church and other churches, you know, did they like the worship that day? 
And often are almost uniformly when they, what they mean by that, did I like the music that day? And they begin equating worship to how the song services went or how the choir sang or how the special music or how the offertory went. Now, that's a means by which we can think of the beauty of God and the greatness of God and the goodness of God. But music is not worship. It's a means to worship. And some people worship worship, if you understand what I mean. They, they worship music. And that's, that's dramatically wrong. And I'll show you a passage later on where God speaks directly to that if somehow we think music is, is, is the goal. The, music is not the goal. It's, it's an avenue by which we get to the goal, which is Jesus. But it is significant that when Paul talked about being spirit-filled, the first thing he said was related to music. I would have thought it would have been you know, some kind of a service project or evangelism or whatever it might be. But he said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God. Well, let's try to debrief some things about what the Bible says about Spirit-filled singing or Spirit-filled singing or Spirit-filled worship. First of all, about singing. In your outline, it says worship there, but... Um, Worship, uh, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. A parallel passage to Ephesians 5, uh, verses 17 through 19, is it Colossians 3, 16, where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3 says, Be filled with Scripture. And then both will accomplish the same thing. It will, it will produce music in your life. One, a melody in your heart to God, and the other, singing grace. And again, the uniqueness of, of Christian music is it, it compels you to think about God's nature and character and goodness. When we sing with grace in our hearts, we're, we're singing about God's undeserving gifts to us. God has given us so much more than we deserve. And when we forget that, then we don't have a song in our heart. Some people are so despondent, they can never sing. Well, they, they forget that their focus is on the things that have gone wrong, and they forget all the things that are still right in their life because of God's grace in their life. But singing, and we're going to look at it this morning, as it relates to being spirit-filled, does connect with worship. And the next statement in your outline this morning and the first word should be worship, not singing. Worship is every expression of loving and honoring God in attitude and action for who He is, for what He has done and is doing. And so that's, that's why God wants us to have a lifestyle of worship. It, it, it's expressing love and honor to God in attitude or action for who He is, what He's done, and, who, and what He's doing. Now, that, that should be for us to recognize if we're going to have meaningful public expressions of worship through music when we gather together, then we need to worship before we come to worship. You understand what I'm saying? We have to prepare ourselves to come to a place like this. And we, we worship in how we serve one another, how we care about people around us, how we, how we pray, how we give, how we use our gifts and abilities, our concern for those who are lost. All those things can be a life of worship which honors God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 said, Whatever you do, whether, whether, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. 
And that simply means bringing God into every part of your life. Now, that is a challenge for everyone, even for professional Christians like me, okay? You know, I often leave God out of major portions of my life, not always by design, but by neglect. I just forget to embrace Him in just everything I do. And so as we think about that, as we think about singing, we can sing without being spirited or being spirit-filled. You know, we can be enthusiastic about all, things, all kinds of things of life. I was telling a story in the first service. I was reading about a church in Niswasa, Minnesota. And they were talking about their community and how they would be involved in the lives of people. And, and they talked about in the summer, uh, they, they look for something fun to do in Niwasa, Minnesota. Anybody come from Niwasa, Minnesota? Okay, so I'm not going to step on anybody's toes for that. Okay, so anyway, so in, in the summer, on every Wednesday night, they have what they call turtle races. Okay, the whole town and the surrounding towns come out to the Nawasa and they race their turtles. And in fact, uh, it's become pretty big business, and so not only do you bring your own turtle, but if you forgot a turtle, you can buy another turtle. So the people, vendors there are selling turtles, and then they have turtle wear and everything else. Okay, and, and sometimes it gets pretty big. Uh, there was one night they, they were talking about there were 435 turtles that showed up the race. So they had to divide it in, in heats of 15 turtles per race. Now, you wonder, well, how long do turtles race? Anybody want to know that? Okay, they, 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 they run for six feet. Okay, six feet is all they have to go, all right? Uh, but anyway, they got through all the heats, and finally they got down to the championship race. And they were, they were the last 15 to race against each other. And, uh, and, and, and they said, you could have, it was amazing. People were going crazy. It was a, it was a, there was a frenzy going on. They were being fanatic. They were cheering and waving. And I don't know if they were painting turtle faces on their, on their face. But anyway, they were going crazy. And then finally the, the turtle won. And the guy got his prize, which was $5. But anyway, so they, they, spent, you know, they spent a whole summer trying to read up to the championship race of who would be the best turtle in town. Now, if people can be that excited about turtles, we as Christians ought to be that, even more excited about who? Jesus, all right? That's the Jesus answer. That's the Christ answer. And that's what worship is about, is being enthusiastic about someone worth being enthusiastic about. And there's a lot of ways to express that. And and what we're going to focus on here is the one that Paul talked about, which was singing or speaking another one in in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And just a free note on that. Uh, Is there much difference between a, a, a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song? In one way, yes, you can make some distinctions. Some people do. Psalms might relate to the Old Testament Psalms, but usually it's anything that expresses about the greatness of God, maybe the Trinitarian God. Um, Hymns, the focus was not what's in a hymn book, but it was on thinking about the redemption or salvation that's found in Christ. And spiritual songs were songs of testimony about God's comfort, God's help in time of need. But whatever it is, it's talking about who God is, what He has done in Christ, and what He continues to do. But what do we also know about, the, uh, about worship? Uh, real quickly, and then I want to get down to the, the major point I want to leave with us, which is the last point. What is true worship? True worship must come in spirit and in truth. And that's that familiar passage in John 4, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the, the big question, is that spirit with a big S or a little s? All right? And the answer is yes. I think it's both and. Um, spirit, in, the little s is that that's, it, it worships to express what is within us, and if worship is only expressed with our lips or with uh, our footsteps, but it doesn't really come from within, then it's just religious activity. And it must be based on truth. There are people that are enthusiastic about who they think God is, but it's not true worship, and what we'll see, it's false worship. 
Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 really talks about a worship that comes from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And of course, it needs to be truth. It must be Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Secondly, music is one expression of true worship. Uh, Psalm 33, 1 through 3, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Uh, and there are many observations we can make for that. Expressing worship to God in many ways ought to be loud. In other passages that are found in your Bible study this week, we're talk, they, they use instruments and they call, talk about symbols, but they describe the symbols as loud symbols or clashing symbols. So our, our worship ought to be filled with enthusiasm. How come you're turning the page? I haven't got there yet. Okay. You ought, to, you ought to sing with a new song. Well, it wasn't even be by a new song. It, it, it's not talking about new in terms of, okay, how recently was it composed? If that were true, it wouldn't work in Scripture because he talks about singing with a new song in the Old Testament, and then you get in the New Testament, so I now sing a new song. Well, if it was a, a time word in terms of chronology, it, it, that wouldn't work. And the word for here, particularly in the Greek, is kainos, which is new not in time, but new in kind. And what is the kind? It's what is the music about? Is it about what God has done, who He is, and what He's doing in your life? There's music about all kinds of themes, and those are okay, but the new song is a song about God. That's the distinction between Christian music and any other music. It's not the style, and we're going to look at that, but it's what is it about? But music is one expression of true worship. We need to understand the resulting danger is that music can be, can be an expression of false worship. Uh, I was just struck because we'd been reading through Exodus in our personal time with God, but um, look at Exodus 32.8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, that's the story. You know, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He's supposed to bring down the commandments. He's up there a little bit longer than they wanted. I don't know, a few more minutes. And so they got, man, we got to find who God is. And so they decided, let's make a God. And they probably were trying to worship the true God in a false way. It's possible they, were, they, they had created in their mind a false God, but they had just been taken out of, out of Egypt. They hadn't forgotten that. But they go, well, Moses is not here to tell us about God, so uh, we'll just make up God according to how we might think he looks like. That's a dangerous thing to do. In one sense, it doesn't matter what you think about who God is. It matters who God really is. You understand that? And so when we share our opinions about God, that's fine, they're opinions, but really the only opinion that matters is God's opinion, and God has told us what His opinion is about Himself. He's revealed Himself. Am I speaking fast? Okay. Anyway, so the idea here is, is that uh, worship can be a false worship, and that false worship can be a singing false worship. I was really struck, never really seen it this way before, but Exodus 32, verse 17 and 18 says this. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. Now, that's true about most wars, isn't it? It's not, it's not a quiet thing, is it? It's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of volume happening when people go to war. But he, this is Moses said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat. And, of course, there's the noise of just the battle, but there's the, the noise of what happens after the battle. And if you're a sportsaholic or a recovering sportsaholic like I am, you know, you, you, you go to a game or you're even watching the TV. Isn't it amazing how we talk to TVs when we're watching? Like, how could you make that play? Why did you do that? Okay. Is that, you know, we'll, we'll, you know we'll, be, we'll be cheering, you know, and making a lot of noise and really getting into the game. And, 
and uh, there's just a noise. And there's the noise of winning, and then there's the noise of losing and it, breaking people's hearts and, and, you know, the whole idea. And Joshua, this was Joshua, they were hearing what was happening with this molded calf from afar, and they said, what is, what is all this noise? Was there some kind of battle going on? And, and uh, Moses said, no, it's not the noise of, of victory or the noise of defeat. What is the noise? But the sound of what? Singing, I hear. Isn't that amazing? They were singing in an expression of worship. And it must have been loud and enthusiastic and full of energy, but it was all false. And so we need to realize that there is a place of false worship. And we're going to look at it not only from you know, heresy, but, but it can be from a lifestyle as well. Another point I want to make. God's music is new because it testifies to what He does. And that's what I've shared a little bit before. But it's a unique message. It's not the particular notes we play. It's what these notes are applied to, the message. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my sets. He has put my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and hear and will trust in the Lord. I don't know if you can think back. This has popped my mind, but most of us probably attended a church service or maybe a camp or some meeting where Christians were singing. And it kind of intrigued us a little bit, but we really didn't have a really clear idea what they were singing about. You know, and and we, we, we weren't totally in touch with it. And then all of a sudden, we became a Christian, and then it all made what? Sense. It was now a new song that we could say, I can relate to that because God has changed my life. That's what it means to have a new song. And we need to understand this new song has very little limitations, if any. And actually, after 16, we know that, that Paul and Silas, they did joyful singing, and it was not limited by location or circumstances. Acts 16.25 says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They had been in prison, and yet they had not been robbed of their source of joy, and they just broke out in song for God's goodness. They didn't want to be in jail, but they were in jail. And they could still rejoice because their source of joy was God, and so they returned back to God and knew song. You know, as we approach this Christmas season, and there's probably, there's probably more songs that we hear during the month of December than any other time. There are just scenes that they're just, you know, you open doors and all of a sudden there are more bells on the door, you know, and you hear some kind of a, a noise or a song just as people open doors. And as we think about this, in many ways, this is a joyful time of year for most people. But we need to recognize it's also, for some, the hardest season of the year. And just looking out at some of these. You're going to celebrate a Christmas without your mom or your dad. You're going to have a Christmas without your spouse. And that's not true for you. It's true for somebody else you know. Uh, John and Pam Aldridge went to a funeral on Saturday morning, and uh, there's going to be a couple that's going to have a Christmas without any of their kids. 
as another one died in their 20s. And, and you wonder, how, how can there be a melody in your heart when there's such heartache and pain? And the only answer is this, the same experience Paul and Silas had in the midst of them being in prison and maybe their life being forfeited. They knew a God that knows the next chapter. That when we think about Jesus coming, He didn't come simply to make this life better for whatever period of time, short period of time we're on this planet. But that we can look forward to being reunited with the loved ones who know the Lord. And, and, and we, can, we can see that whatever life we have here on earth still has purpose and meaning. And that God has an agenda for us to live out. That our lives are not insignificant. It has, it has God's plan stamped on it. And, and because of that, we have a new song to sing because God's comfort in the midst of pain. And we don't need comfort unless there's, unless there's pain. But God's presence goes with us always. You know, the interesting thing is we think about music and singing. You know, there's, there's, a, time, there's a time to stop singing. Listen to Amos chapter 5, verse 23. This is Paul's reaction. I mean, this is Amos's words from God in response to the worship of God's people, of the, of the true God, done in the true way, at least physically, but from a heart that was not right. God says in no uncertain terms, Amos chapter 5, verse 23, take away from me the noise of your song, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. And why was that? Was there a style of music that God didn't like and he didn't like the, the tones that they were producing? No, it was not that. Verse 24, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. He, he didn't want to hear their music. He didn't want to hear their singing because their hearts were not right. We can have false worship by, by worshiping the false God. We can have false worship by worshiping the true God in a false way. And we can have false worship simply because our hearts are not right. Because spirit-filled singing must be filled with God's Spirit. In Revelation chapter 18, we won't turn to the passage, but it says that there's going to come a time where even the common grace of, of music is going to be taken out of this world, where there'll be no more music because judgment is coming. Now, the good news, and the last biblical point I want to share with you today is is there someone singing that we would not expect to be singing in the future? And that's God Almighty Himself. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and for most of us we're thinking, I didn't even know Zephaniah was part of the Bible. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says that, that God Himself will rejoice with singing as He receives His children. Because music is a source of expression of joy. In fact, most of music should be an expression of joy. There's other parts of, of, of music, of lamenting and and comforting and soothing. But music, I think more than anything else, ought to be an expression of joy. And God will be joyful over us. But what I want to close with today in just a few minutes is that we too often 
Focus on that which is not critical in music and in singing and in worship. The focus from God is on the heart and on the spirit who is either influencing or not influencing us at that moment. Because one of the things you'll find in Scripture is there's nothing mentioned about style of music. We don't know if it's 4-4, four, 6-8, four, you know, we don't know if it's, if it's, it's very structured or, or flowing. We don't know if it's, if it's more of a chant. Most of us, if we really bought into traditional music, would not be singing how we sing in this service. Because if we went traditional, we'd have to go a lot farther back, wouldn't we? You know, how did they sing in David's time? How did they sing in Paul's time? How do they sing in the early church? What tradition are we going to take? Now, now there's nothing wrong with preference, but we need to recognize that music is just preference. There, There isn't a right and wrong about it except for the message. That's where right and wrong come. Other than that, there is no right or wrong to music. And we need to put our focus and energy on the heart rather than on the form. I was reading one author this week on, on worship. <laughs> they said this, he said, if, if you come on Sunday and you like every song, then something was not planned right, okay? Is that we ought to be willing to, 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 to worship in, in ways that, that are not our favorite. And that happens in our church in both, in both services. People will say, I like the worship that day, or I didn't like the, worship, the song selection. I mean, it happens in both. And, the re- and it's all right to evaluate that. Leadership needs to do that. But the focus for us should be, is it from the heart? Let me share with you a few historical things. Uh, it, it's interesting um, that in the, in, the, in the forming of our church, or the forming of the Christian church, as God did a new thing, new and kind, with uh, God's people as he sent his son with a message of Christ, is that initially, was the church more Jewish or Gentile? Jewish. Good answer. That's the right answer. It was more Jewish. I tell my Jewish friends, all my most favorite people in the entire world and all of history were all Jewish. Jesus, Paul, you know, John, all, you know, all the disciples. You know, it was distinctly a Jewish church. But what happened is that is after it was predominantly Jewish, it became predominantly what? Gentile, which is simply non-Jewish. Well, after the first century and into the second, third century, uh, some of the, the ch- what we call them church fathers, whatever, they, they began to be a little racial. And they, and they began to look at the Jewish expression of worship, and, they, and they, they described it as childish. Why are they worshiping God with instruments? And, of course, they knew it was somewhat biblical. Not somewhat biblical. It was biblical, but Psalm 150, you'll look at it this week. I mean, there's all kinds of instruments in the book of Psalms. They were, they're making all kinds of noises in, as they expressed praise to God. But they didn't want to be Jewish in their worship, so they cut out instruments. If you want to look at church history, there's a, there was a period of time where they didn't have any instruments. Uh, and they, and they, in the 4th century, there's a, there's, a, there's a quote in which they thought it, was, it led to debauchery. You're using the music of the world and trying to bring it into the church, and it leads to lustful, um, sinful behavior. That was the fourth century. I would say the fourth century music was a lot more traditional than anything we got today at rock concerts, right? But it's the same description. 
organs didn't really come into the church until about the 10th century. And it took a while for that to gradually come in. And for a long period of time, they took away singing from the people. It was only sung up on the stage. There was no congregational singing. And then a little thing called the Reformation happened. And in the Reformation, all of a sudden, um, they wanted to express this joy of the Lord. And Martin Luther, basically, when he put his hymns together, he went out and they got his tunes from the taverns, and they put that to music. Uh, you know, we need to realize that, that music, there, there is no moral high ground as it relates to a certain style of music. It's all about the message. Uh, I didn't read this in the first service, but it, it just really strikes me. Uh, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this. When we worship with other believers, it helps us to see beyond ourselves and our own uh, problems. So this is the byword before it. C.S. Lewis, a brilliant Oxford author, was asked about the importance of worshiping together. And he was using that synonymously with singing. Um, He told about his first experience in attending worship services. I very much disliked their hymns, which I consider to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. Which, yeah, I got to step aside here. Just for a you know, it's interesting about uh, being a critic. Have you ever? You, we've all read critics, you know, in terms of maybe a, a movie you're going to go to or a play or something like that. And and it's amazing sometimes after you read a uh, some person who wrote a critic and then you saw the the, the movie or the play and go, man, I really liked it. How come they didn't like? It? I mean, look at anybody who's a critic need to realize. Critics can be also criticized as well. And C.S. Lewis, I, God is used immeasurably, but let me be honest, I don't think every one of his books are awesome. Okay. But anyway, he, uh, he, he looked at the hymns of the, in the church as being fifth-rate poems to sixth-rate music. But he goes on, But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it all, and gradually my conceit became peeling off. I realized that the sixth-rate hymns were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew, and I realized that I wasn't fit to clean those boots. Worshiping together gets us out of our solitary conceit, which the moral of the story was, I began to realize, C.S. Lewis, speaking for him, that being a critic of the music, I, I, I was focusing on that which was not most critical. The critical was to look at the heart. And as I saw this, these people around me singing with devotion in their heart, that was worship. That was spirit-filled singing. The time has escaped, but i just kind of summarize a, a couple things, I, or one particular area I, I read this week. Albert Moeller, who was a, a traditionalist in many ways, um, was kind of taking a... Uh, shot at himself. I just read this past week, and he was saying, uh, he was really, I won't go into great detail, but he was trying to, to grasp the, the validity of communicating uh, the timeless message of Christ in contemporary music, even edgy stuff like rap, uh, to, to Bach. And Bach is his favorite composer. And Bach was a, you know, a man who wrote everything to the glory of God. And Bach is probably in, in, in legitimate ways elevated to 
brilliance uh, in terms of his ability to craft music in a way that is lasting. But he said this, if, if somehow if we elevate him to the point where why are we adding anything in addition to what he has already written, then we miss out what he did really when he wrote it. Because just like there's always a critic in the crowd, he, he writes historically, Al Mohler, and he says that the music that he wrote, he did not write for the elites of that day, for the musical critics of that day. And the reason that we know that, because the music critics of that day did not like his music. They said it was too common. It was too coarse. It was too loud. It was too unappealing. But he wrote it for the people. And he wrote it as the as the Reformation music began to express the goodness and greatness of God. So what's the point this morning? The point is that, that God wants us to be spirit-filled, and we'll know we're spirit-filled if we, if we produce a melody in our heart, that we reflect on the message of Christ and we want to express it to Him. Now, we do that when we gather together, and, and we, are, we are measuring our worship to Him is whether we're reflecting on the message and meaning of what we're singing rather than being distracted by other things. You know what distracts me sometimes when I hear gifted artists today who I know don't know the Lord by self-profession, and they're singing Christmas carols? How can they sing that? Joy to the world, why? The Lord has what? Come. Let earth receive her king. That's the message. That's the new song. And so I I challenge the first service this day, this week. Most of us uh, are not necessarily uh, people who sing throughout the day. We're not, you know, some of you might have that personality. And if you do, you know, Lord bless you. But for those of us who, who don't necessarily focus on making a melody in our heart. Maybe we ought to. Just like we ought to see that stop sign when we're driving and say, stop, am I, am I filled with the Spirit right now? Or when we eat a meal, not only thank God for the food, but make a request, might I be filled with the Spirit at this moment, which simply means I want to be under your influence, under your control rather than my own. But maybe, maybe, uh, maybe throughout this week, we ought, we ought to pick some song. I don't care what genre it is in, whether it's a classic whether it is a contemporary song, whether I often like children's songs because I can remember the words a lot easier. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, and, and sing that to God. Whether you do it out loud or whether you're doing it in your, in your mind or heart, but make that part of your time with God where you, you sing a melody to Him. Or... If you have such a familiar tune that you know the words without even singing it, let that be an expression as well. And the closeness of our relationship with God will be intensified as we live out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Well, I do pray that you might cause our lives to be so influenced by the Spirit of God who lives within your children, that we might use that gift that you've given everyone, the gift of music, 
to be used not only to enjoy the music of any kind of, of uh, song, but also to use songs in our life intentionally to express to you in private what we attempt to do in public when we gather together, which is give honor to who you are, what you've done, and what you're doing. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Obviously, the best way